Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I'm your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment, so let's waste no more time. Hit us up on that social hashtag, hashtag ODPH, because we want to interact with you. I say, I just want to jump in real quick. I know a lot of people are wondering, hey, you know, Avengers passed Titanic. Yes, that is true. Avengers Endgame did, in fact, pass Titanic. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go to James Cameron's uh, Twitter page. He did post a very nice uh, congratulations letter to everyone at Marvel. Uh, if, if you're curious how close it is to beating uh, Avatar for the all-time worldwide record, not adjusted for inflation, because if we added a Adjusted for inflation, it's hilariously not even close. Uh, currently, of course, Avatar sits at two point seven eight eight billion dollars. Uh, Avatar and Avengers Endgame, excuse me, uh, is as we rec- sit here recording, is sitting at two point five zero three billion dollars. So they are just under two hundred million dollars away. It is kind of crazy that Avengers is dominating the box office like that uh-huh. to this level, but they're taking out Titanic and James Cameron, and obviously what's going on with Avatar two. Yep. I mean, he's he's got some competition, folks. Yeah. And the Avengers also got some competition with Game of Thrones. Yes, I do. Because as they're going into the final season, it's it's almost like their own end game, so to speak. And you know we do talk spoilers on here, and Pat will give you the timestamp in the episode notes if you're not a big Game of Thrones fan, because we have to go jump right into this. So in three... Two, one. Pat, what did you think of this week's episode? Uh, I, You know, the only thing I could think of while watching the entire episode was if you're a wrestling fan, you will you will understand this reference. Uh, burn it down. Absolutely. Holy crap. The heel turn of Daenerys. Yes. Finally happened. Holy sugar cookies. The internet was not ready. A lot of fans were not ready because now we finally had the last war, mm-hmm. the Battle well, of King's supposedly. Landing. Yeah, supposedly. Cersei and her forces took the first shot and took out somebody Uh that meant a lot to Daenerys. And you knew at the end of last week's episode she was ready to go. Yes. Did she ever decide to bring it? Oh, yes, she did. Oh, she brought it and then some. Pad, break it down for us. Holy cow. So I want to say, uh, of course, I will put the timestamp in the description of the episode if you want to jump ahead and not really pay attention to anything Game of Thrones if you either don't watch or you're behind. Uh, But getting into the episode, I got to say, the first thing that kind of confused me was the, I, you know, they really didn't explain where they were at because, of course, the last episode ended with Masande getting decapitated and Daenerys having the look of all rage on her face. And then Daenerys is back at her home castle and without any real explanation. And I'm sitting there like, wait, wait, is this a flashback to before last episode ended? Yeah, it was a little crazy. The one thing that I, I will say I have the most criticism of Game of Thrones this season is the time jumps and you really are kind of putting together yourself of where they are date-wise. I will say, see, for me, time jumps forward don't really bother me when I can tell that it's a clear time jump forward. Like, okay, yeah, the one a couple weeks ago was a little bit jarring, but I still understood, okay, this is a time jump forward. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but I understand. This was like she was standing outside of King's Landing's gates with her admittedly very small forces and looking like she's ready to, like, YOLO it into oblivion. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, end of the episode, next episode starts, and she's 
back at her castle. I'm like, wait, 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 what happened here? Yeah, that part was a little confusing. And obviously with how they left the last episode as a cliffhanger, yeah, so to speak, you figured, okay, they're going to go right into the battle. Yeah. Didn't happen. No. And they also had time to regroup. More members of the North Coalition, so to speak, came yeah. down. I say John was back from wherever he was. Yeah, he came down to the party. Jamie Lannister had finally arrived. Mm-hmm. Arya and the Hound were there. Yeah. So finally, all the big names were in the battle scene ready to go. Yes. And when they finally decided to go, Daenerys took the biggest shot, I think, that we all weren't really expecting. No. She snuck up on the Golden Company, who, right. which was Cersei's ace in the hole. Right, yeah. She, you know, the ace in the hole, the ringer, if you're a sports fan. You know, the Golden Company had been hyped up as this, like, force that you don't mess with. There's this, of course, backstory of, you know, they were brought in to fight a force. Things went awry, and the other person and whoever was supposed to pay them ended up not paying them. And then the Golden Company just raided and pillaged their entire land. And they're like, all right, no, pay them. And Daenerys just, you know, one shot at him into oblivion. Right. She definitely was venting her rage right. about Wait. losing Sandy. And I know there were a lot of people frustrated and kind of upset about this, which, okay, yes, they are, I presume, a good fighting force. We never really saw them fight. But traditionally, but this again, like much of the battles this season, isn't a traditional fight. They might be a very good hand to hand combat force when it's traditional block fighting, you know, yield medieval style where they're charging at you and you have, you know, your cavalry reserves. But when a giant dragon comes breathing fire in your back door, I don't think there's any plan for that. No, they definitely didn't have one. And she caught him by surprise yeah. and, and wiped out the arguably the biggest threat that we were all expecting this epic battle with them. Yeah. And we just didn't get it. No. Yeah. And I think it was very telling, like the leader of the Golden Company's face when she blew through it. And like he was one of the few, if not the only one of the Golden Company left. And he just had this look on his face like he was crapping his pants. Yeah. He had no idea what was going on. I don't think anybody did. And no. then you just saw her go into full rage mode. Right. And she just starts annihilating everybody. And Cersei's army and then she uh, well at first she's being very strategic about it to the point where Euron Greyjoy's forces are like Euron Greyjoy's force Greyjoy's forces are of course the ships in the harbor and they're armed with those giant crossbows that are really good at taking down her dragons they've taken down one they're all armed but like she's very astute and she's very you know strategic about what she does and she dodges them and she takes out the ships and then she starts taking out some of the like the towers along the wall like she's being very strategic about it all bearing in mind that earlier in the episode Tyrion told her listen if you hear the bells surrender right because Tyrion knows that this war can get completely out of control for no reason yeah and he is thinking with a very level head of thinking of the people and what this is going to do for Daenerys moving forward so he's been there for a while and he's seen what happens not just with the people surrounding whoever's in charge like the immediate like the advisors and the hands and the this and the that but like the common people mm-hmm. and just how much of an influence they have on things whether the the leaders want to admit it or not he's seen what happens when you don't do things that are in the best interest of your people right and this is a lot to do with Varys and what happened to him at, yeah. the, be- at the very beginning of the episode yeah. where he was killed for uh, treason yeah. by Daenerys so he's seeing this going in and going okay you took out Varys who was letting Sansa know about the the true patronage or parentage of Jon Snow. I also think of this, I can't take full credit for this area. I think Varys was also trying to poison Daenerys at the beginning of the episode because there's the scene at the very beginning where he's writing the letter and the middle-aged little girl or whatever, you know, the teenage girl comes walking in uh, named Martha, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. 
and she she talks about Daenerys and says she's not eating. Okay, why, one, why does Varys care if she's eating or not? Like, realistically, which has led a lot of people to believe, and I'm kind of buying into this a little bit. I think he might have been trying to poison her. Because he, he then has the line, oh, that's okay, we'll try again at dinner. Yeah, he's obviously up to something, because he knows with Sansa, he's, he's allying himself to who he thinks is going to win outright. Yeah. He's always done that. Yeah. And obviously, when he drops the bombshell of Jon Snow's true uh, parentage, mm-hmm. this has now offset everything... Daenerys has been building yeah. since day one. Oh, yeah. Day one, she has felt that, okay, she is eventually going to assume the Iron Throne and rule over the Seven Kingdoms. This is now not happening because the secret that was supposed to be kept intact by her inner circle has now leaked mm-hmm. and is spreading. Yeah. So she has no claim to the throne as long as Jon Snow is alive. So obviously Varys has taken steps to kind of position where he thinks the rightful ruler should be. And at this mm-hmm. point, you're thinking of Sansa. But Daenerys is, at this point, very manic, I guess is yeah. the easiest way I could describe yeah. it, because obviously she loses Mel and DC. And then going off that heels, she knows that Varys has now turned on her. She's unleashed her dragon and obviously killed him mm-hmm. for the treason to send the message. Yeah. And even Tyrion is kind of sensing that she is losing it. Yeah, I think he sees the writing on the wall because, you know, he obviously would remember how things went with her father, you mm-hmm. know, the mad, the mad King. He might not have been involved in whatever was going on in his court, but he he's old enough and, and is well-connected enough being that he's, you know, the son of Tywin Lannister, one of the most powerful houses in, in the kingdom. You know, to know, okay, I've seen this before. I, I'm a little afraid of what's happening. Right, because as she's now in the battle, that she's going with all this emotion and rage, she's being very calculating in how mm-hmm. she's taken out her enemies, but it's pure rage that's fueling it. Yeah. And I think that it's a weird balance for her character in this scenario. Well, she's, she's teetering on the edge because you, you think of everything she's lost, both literally... And kind of, you know, uh, metaphorically, you know, she's lost, you know, she's lost Melisandre. She's lost friends. She's lost lovers, you know, and, and now she's on the precipice. Or she's on, you know, she's on the, you know, her quest stands upon the edge of a knife. If I can quote Lord of the Rings, where she's one wrong step away from losing the thing she's been fighting for her entire life. And that's it's it's scary for her. And I mean, it kind of calls back to something Master Aemon, who, of course, was the maester for the Night's Watch, said back in one of the earlier seasons, a Targaryen quote, a Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. Right. And as you see her progressing forward, I mean, she has nothing to lose now at this point. So, no. how, so how does she hold on to the power that she's acquired? And she's going based off on all the losses she's had. Yeah. And then now she knows that there is no going back if she wants to be the ruler of the kingdoms. Yeah. Because Jon Snow and her are done at this point. Right. I mean, John, yeah, Jon Snow and her are done. I mean, Jon's got a legit, like, be whatever Jon may say, and he may say, oh, I don't want the throne, I don't want the throne. He still has a legitimate claim to the throne, and, and Daenerys can't trust that. She's she's very, cal- you know, for every, everyone's criticisms of her, she's very calculating and very precise with her movements, and she can't take what Jon says at face value, because if she does, she's going to lose. She can't be blinded by love. I'm almost going to say this is almost Joker-like. A little bit. And, I want, and I'm just going to clarify this because the Joker, as we know him in the comics, is just wild and just a force of nature and mm-hmm. just unstable as can be. Yeah. But yet, when it comes down to it, is so calculating in his plans to get them to fruition. Daenerys was like the same thing. 
at this point, she is just pure rage. Yeah. But she's so calculating in how she's doing this because she, what she is going based off on is, okay, I need to be the one to take out Cersei. Mm-hmm. It can't be John. It can't be anybody else. I need to be the one. And as she's going through and she's wiping out Cersei's forces, and right. Cersei is in the middle of a tower in King's Landing, and she's almost it's almost like the meme that everything is fine yeah. and that house is on fire. That is what's going on with her because she's standing there with her inner circle and she's just saying, well, you know, the Golden Company will take him out. And No, yeah, like at the, at the point this this takes place, every like the the sea forces are gone. You know, the her the the Golden Company is gone. Her her forces are barely holding on and, and her her hand of the king comes to her and he goes, "Man, you know, your majesty, this isn't really a safe place. You should evacuate." And she goes, oh, don't worry, we, we have enough forces. And he goes, no, the gold company's decimated. They're gone. Your on Greyjoy's forces are burning, and your your forces are barely holding on. And she still stands there, sipping her wine. Yeah, because she doesn't want to believe that she has now been decimated after she thought that she was so many steps ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Jon Snow and company are working their way through King's Landing, and Cersei's armies are laying down. Yeah. They're dropping their swords and surrendering. Oh, they're not stupid. They know well, we ain't got no shot against us. Well, at this point, the the bells are starting to ring, and Tyrion is is now finally saying, yes, you know, everybody is safe, and the, and the kingdom is laying down, and, mm-hmm. you know, everything is going to go right. But Daenerys does not go with the plan. No. She just decides to unleash hell on earth. Yeah. Literally. Literally. And just starts killing everything. Everybody in the streets, uh, including one Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Yes, that we saw was made a cameo in, yeah. in Game of Thrones. So at this point, she is just turning on everything that she has built up. Her whole image of being the the noble leader is now out the window, and she has literally become the Mad Queen. Yeah, in just a blink of an eye. Which I know a lot of of fans were very vocal on social media about, like, oh my god, I can't see how this happened. Break it down like this. She literally had everything taken away from her. Mm-hmm. She had nothing to lose. No. So how do you hold on to being in control? You have to eliminate all your competition with fear. Yeah. And that's what she literally tried doing. I'll say, how do you think the Emperor held the galaxy for 30 years before the Rebellion rose up in Star Wars? It wasn't through milk and cookies. No, she tried to instill fear in the people by not being afraid to kill everybody that she thought would send a message yeah i mean it, it was it, and she showed that by the fact that you know ari and other characters after the you know the damage was done towards the end of the episode are walking through the streets and there are burned women children and men yeah there is just nobody is safe i mean that's the easiest way to describe it and even at this point gray worm and, and his army are falling right in suit oh yeah and they start killing well, cersei's army well the thing of it is is unarmed we, well, the thing with Grey Worm is Grey Worm is always Team Daenerys. He always will be till his day, his dying breath. That's no question. But I think you look at his state of mind and how you know emotionally invested he was with Missandei. You know, whether they were dating or they were together, whatever it was, there was an emotional connection there on a, on a very deep level. It didn't take, you know, he was already willing to kill those people for what they did. Mm-hmm. He needed no motivation to do that. He just needed a direction. He just he just needed kind of like the okay, like he, at the end of the day, he does have a set of standards and that he will follow and adhere to the like a line he won't cross. Mm-hmm. But like he'll cross it if he gets the okay. And, and Daenerys torching everyone was that all right, free reign. Yep, and they wanted to make sure that they sent the message because obviously what happened. Yeah, and I mean at this point too, Cersei is trying to escape and go to the tunnels to escape King's Landing. Yeah, and she gets met with a little competition. A little bit. 
Who did she run into? Uh, she ran in. She ran into. Well, first she's going down the stairs, and she runs into uh, the hound. Yes, which we finally have. What bull, Pat? Clegane Bowl. Clegane Bowl, twenty nineteen, finally happened. Yes, hound versus mountain. Ow! Everybody had been looking forward to this, and this. I think if anybody could say one thing was done right with this episode, mm-hmm. it was this battle. Yeah, the two of the biggest brawlers and fighters in all of Game of Thrones history mm-hmm. finally had their match. Yeah. And it lived up to expectation. It yeah. was graphic. It was violent. It was it a little was, skin crawled a little bit. Skin did definitely crawl a little bit. And this is after the Hound had his final goodbye and all, like almost talked Arya out of not going after Cersei. Yeah. And just said, get out of here because everything is falling apart. Yeah, he, he has a great line where he says, listen, look at me. I'm what following revenge all your life looks like. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go down this path. And she even says, thank you. Yeah. Well, I think it's just kind of the final moment that they know that this is the end and that they both will arguably not escape King's Landing alive. Yeah. Because Daenerys is torching everybody and everything in sight. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Cersei is escaping. Jamie Lannister is trying to meet up with her, and yep. he runs into Euron Greyjoy on the yeah, beaches. Yeah, and that's just a weird, yeah, meeting of the yeah, mind, so to speak. But yeah. Euron is Euron, and tries going to kill Jamie. They have a battle, and Jamie winds up winning this battle. Mm-hmm. Now, without Euron giving a few uh, one-liners on the way out the door. Yeah, I mean that's Euron for you. Yeah, but yeah, I mean he just played this character so well. Mm-hmm. And as Jamie's working his way to meet up with Cersei. King's Landing is coming down around them. Literally. Tyr- yeah. Tyrion is just in shell shock. Same with Jon Snow. Yeah. Arya, nobody can believe what's going on. The Hound and Mountain are fighting to the death. Like, yeah, Jon at one point earlier, you know, before this in the episode is literally in, in between the two forces of the North and Daenerys's and then King's Landing. Like, no, hold, don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah. And just everybody that had faith in Daenerys for being the a noble leader is now completely in shock that she just went mad queen. Yeah. And, I mean, rightfully so, because if you put that much faith in, you're bending the knee and doing all that jazz, and then somebody just flips like that and just shows no regard for their people. Well, and it's like Jamie said, and Jamie called this, because uh, in an earlier episode this season, before he went to fight with the, the, you know, forces of the living, he said, quote, when the fight's in the north, when the fight in the north is over, someone wins. You understand that, right? If the dead win, they march south and kill us all. If the living win and we've betrayed them, they march south and kill us all. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Because Daenerys wiped out everybody that she could, with the exception of a few notable names. Jon yeah. Snow survived. Yeah. Arya. Oh, she would. Like, I don't think she deliberately spared him. No. I think he just got lucky and avoided. Because I know I was having this conversation with Brag Eye Signal after the episode where he was kind of wondering, oh, do you think she was trying to take Jon out? I go... I, she would have if she had the opportunity, but like at the pace she was moving and the the vast distance she was covering and like torching all of King's Landing, I think if she would have known where he was, she wouldn't have cared. No, she would have gone for him if she knew. Uh, yeah. If she knew where he was, yeah, he was up in smoke. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that's holding her from taking over the throne. Literally. Yeah. Is him being alive. Yep. But as we see the episodes progressing, the Hound and Mountain go into their epic violent death. They're both off the table now. Mm-hmm. You see Jamie finally meets up with Cersei underneath the... Yeah, the, the Red Keep, the King's Landing, whatever it is, the, the main castle. Right, and the castle is coming down right on them. I'll say, yeah, like she even has the line at one point early in the episode before the battle really starts where no forces have ever 
you know, approach the Red Keep. And I'm sitting there laughing, going, yeah, how did that work out for Helm's Deep and Lord of the Rings? That didn't work out too well. And then you literally get to the scene where there are entire towers getting destroyed. Right. The tunnel that they were trying to escape is already caved in. Yeah. There is nowhere to run, and you just see the whole tower come down on them. Well, I mean, at least Jamie went out like he wanted to with the person he loved. Yeah, I mean, it's it was almost kind of a weird poetic justice. Well, but. To a degree, because for being somebody that was redeeming and he wanted to end in a good place, I guess, so to speak, he yeah, did. Yeah. And with Cersei, I mean, that's the only person she wanted to end up with. And figuring they caused this mess when they pushed Bran out the window in episode one. Yeah, who'd have known? Yeah, it all came back full circle. Wild. And then just going into next week's, I mean, Daenerys has laid waste to all of King's Landing. Uh-huh. Her inner circle that was established with Jon and Tyrion and Arya to a degree yeah. is, is now gone. Yeah, it's in shreds. It's in shreds. So going into the final battle, it's going to be Daenerys returning to the north. Yep. And basically saying, I took over. Mm-hmm. Where this is going to go for the final episode is anybody's guess it's gonna be a wild ride it's gonna be absolutely insane so i guess final thoughts on the episode pad it was a wild roller coaster ride of an episode from you know thinking we're at a point where we might be able to breathe to just you know however long that whole battle sequence was of daenerys torturing very i drew very few breaths it was definitely the build-up was what it needed to be that you knew that if this was going to be the quote-unquote last war it was going to be graphic. It was going to be not nice. It was going to be in your face. You, mm-hmm. you were going to see some moments of characters that you knew was going to be their last. Yeah. And obviously they did this well enough to establish if you really broke it down why Daenerys turned Yeah. and snapped like she did. Yeah. I mean, you can argue that this episode is better than the Battle of Winterfell. I know we had a couple polls going on ODPH social media, and a lot mm-hmm. of our listeners said Battle of Winterfell was a better episode. Okay. And it's, it's debatable. I mean, yeah. I, I have to agree. I mean, I thought this episode definitely had its moments, but it just gets to a point where it's just sheer carnage. Yeah. And it was just Daenerys just establishing her will Yeah, over anybody that was going to survive because when word gets back to the north that King's Landing is just a fire pit, yeah, that's going to send shockwaves to whoever is going to stand in her way. I think it just goes back to what Daenerys, she is far more effective if she just doesn't give a you-know-what than if she tries sticking to a plan. We've seen Daenerys when she tries sticking to a plan, and it works to a large degree, but it is nowhere near as effective as she is pissed off and goes off with a full head of steam to go destroy things. We saw this when she went to go take on the Lannister forces you know, or in seasons past. You know, just absolutely rolled through them. Mm-hmm. She definitely wanted to establish that will, and she's the character that has nothing to lose and everything to gain mm-hmm. if she takes care of her enemies. And it'll be very interesting who steps up next week and decides to take her on because with one episode left, it is anybody's guess who's going to be sitting on the Iron Throne. Oh, yeah. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on Game of Thrones this week, and who do you think is going to be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end of next week's episode? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. (laughs) 
coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk about season finales, mm-hmm. and most importantly, the Arrowverse. Yes, and the big, big shakeup. Holy cow! That was happening there. Holy cow! We are going to be talking spoilers about Arrow and Flash. Yes, because they have wrapped up their seasons, and where this is heading to is going to be definite spoiler material. So mm-hmm. we're giving you fair warning now. In three, two, one. Pad, let's break down Arrow. What yes. was your thoughts on the season finale? Season finale was everything I would have hoped i felt yeah, a little disappointed to see emiko go so quickly i would have liked to see her maybe stick around a little bit i feel like we got a little bit of it of, of kind of her full potential but not everything but still an incredible season it definitely was arrow was in my opinion the strongest it's been in a very very long time yes and i know Stephen amell had been very vocal about challenging his writers to write it like the last season and they did yeah. this definitely felt like if they never do another arrow episode it's okay. Mm-hmm. We know they're coming back for a half season next year. Right. And this is all going to tie into Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. But where this season picked up from, we had Ricardo Diaz being the main villain mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. Yep. Uh, Oliver was in jail. Oliver was in jail. It was a very interesting plot that they ran and then how that came to be. And then Oliver coming out and working for the Star City Police Force. Yeah. And, what happens with Team Arrow there? Obviously, some characters came in, some characters left. Lots of ups and downs. Lots of ups and downs, but it was still very quality of a season. Yeah. And then when you meet his half-sister, Emiko, who joins and is the Green Arrow at one point, and then you know it turns out that she has her own agenda going on, mm-hmm. it really turned into something interesting Yeah, that I don't think we were really expecting because at this whole point, they haven't been doing flashbacks. They've been doing flash-forwards. Yeah. And now you hear about Oliver and Felicity's kids and where William is in the future and yep. kind of piecing together what happened and what went wrong with Star City. Yeah, because something, if you, if you really just only watch the flash-forwards, something went wrong in the timeline, like in the worst way possible because this isn't just... You know, oh, Star City's down on its luck. It's having a bad run. No, this is like it's worse than Gotham. Yeah, because at this point, there's just so many unanswered questions of what happened that you had so many heroes and vigilantes running through Star City that to let it go this far and let it go downhill like this. Right, because when the flash forwards really start, uh, Felicity is missing. Mm -hmm. She's presumed dead. Oliver is gone. If not dead, I can't remember specifically. It's been a while ago. But and then you don't really see vigilantes really aren't a thing. But and like, you know, the glades are really in the in a rut. You know, the, it's it's just really bad. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's just kind of like going, okay, well, what happened? And it's just really interesting to see, okay, we know something has gone down and we're really trying to figure out how is there any way to fix it or not. Yeah. Because in present time you're just seeing Oliver kind of come to grips with what happened with Elseworlds. Yeah. And there's always been kind of an underlying theory that, okay, something has happened. We don't know. He kind of just went on with his business and, you know, left it be, it left to be. I'll say there was very much a lot this season, like at least the first half of, I got to take things for what they are and just deal with the consequences. Right. The only thing, though, with this episode that when we are dealing with present time Oliver is since Elseworlds, they were really speeding up to go through with Emiko and the Ninth Circle. Yeah. And I don't know if we really had the payoff okay. that we did. Because, like you touched upon a little earlier, Emiko was there, but we really didn't have her extend to be yeah. you know, the season-long villain. Not that we needed her no. to be, but it kind of would have been a little better to flesh out. I think there was some more story that they could have done on the table. But nevertheless, it worked. Because the one thing that I think Arrow really hit the head on 
is splitting up the season with the first half being Ricardo Diaz mm-hmm. and the second being Emiko. Yeah. There wasn't the long drag out yes. build. Yes. That it kind of felt like, okay, this is fresh. This is new. Yeah. This isn't like we're going through. It's almost like they did two abbreviated seasons. Right. Like we weren't going through the trials and tribulation of like the big bad that is great, but we don't see him for a few episodes and then they come back. And right. Then it's they not go away. It, right. And it's not like we're dealing with two, three episodes focusing on like two or three characters that is like filler. Right. At this point, especially too, when you have Ricardo Diaz, who was such a dynamic villain. Oh, so good. He was so good in this that Emiko and I think whatever storyline they were going to do wasn't going to live up to hype and it's nothing against the actress who played Emiko it's nothing against the writing no. it's just when you have that much of a dy- dynamic and you have that little time to work with being a second half of the season you might not really hit that emotional punch right but I thought they did a very good job explaining it and then when they just kind of tied up everything with a bow so to speak yeah and you really felt like okay the threat of Emiko is gone now obviously she was killed off yeah in, in the deal with the ninth circle the ninth circle was defeated Oliver and company seem to almost have their happy ending, so to speak. Almost. But then he kind of comes to realize that Star City is good without him. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know if we can say he retires the Green Arrow, because... Does he ever really? Because, yeah, does he ever really? But does no. Superman ever hang up the cape? Does Batman ever hang up the cowl? No, but at this point, yeah. Oliver and Felicity leave Star City... Mm-hmm. For the safe house, so to speak, that we find yeah. out yeah. is where their daughter Mia is born. Right, yeah, because they want to really have an opportunity. Because they tried Ray raising Oliver's uh, son, Felicity's stepson, uh, and, and that didn't work, you know, given their life and given what they are involved in. And they really, with Felicity being pregnant, they wanted to do something different. They wanted to give this child the upbringing and the raising it deserved away from all of this, away from all that, and have a normal childhood as much as they could <laughs> given their lives right because at this point that anything that's normal with oliver and felicity is really kind of up in the air yeah that you just you know when they tried doing this in season four it just didn't work right but it's just they're always drawn back to star city but at this point you're seeing them almost have that happy ending that you know we as fans we really want to see them happen yeah but then they're paid a visit mm-hmm. by an old friend who shows up to see him uh, the monitor the monitor who is tied to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Which, when you're watching this episode, you knew something was going on because it was like a lot of time left. There was a fair, a fair amount of time left, and you're a like... good eh, 20 eh, minutes eh, left in like, the episode. Oh, yeah, something's going to happen. Yeah, the hat was tipped a little bit. So now we kind of see, all right, what is, the, what is going on? And we now know the deal that was made. Mm-hmm. The deal was Oliver was going to be leading the Monitor's forces against the Anti-Monitor. Yep. And obviously he was told in every scenario we've seen, you don't survive. Well, and the thing of it is, is I don't think he knew going into this because, you know, the monitor shows up and to, hey, it's time. And I think Oliver even had the line. I'm, I'm not 100% clear on this. I think Oliver had the line where he said, okay, what's the deal? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the monitor, when, when we were watching it cut, I think the monitor then told me, I will see you at a top, at a time in your future to tell you what the deal is. Yeah. And then obviously he shows up and hey, you got to leave my force, my forces against the for infinite crisis. Yeah, this is where it was kind of like, all right, well now I know what I'm getting into. But he knew well enough making the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And then you go tied into the flash forward, where Felicity meets up with the Monitor. Yep. Down the road, so now everything is now coinciding, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of a brilliant move. Yeah. I, which is very interesting to see what happens because as we know. 
Felicity is not coming back next season. Right. That, presumably she's going into hiding. Right. That she'll be going in, into hiding. Emily Bet Rickard is not coming back to the show. Unless, I mean, I would assume maybe a cameo. I would. I, you know what? She may not come back as a recurring character, but I'm going to bet at least for the last episode she'll be there. Probably. That would make a lot of sense to do. I think anybody would be fair game. I I'll mean, say, because without looking at time, because they haven't announced when it premieres or anything, but we know it's a shortened season, I'm willing to bet, because they did this with the last crossover where they switched the nights the show's aired, Arrow will be the last part to air for this uh, upcoming crossover. Right. And that'll be the series finale. Right, because now with Arrow taking over and whatever the transition is going to be now, mm-hmm. that they have left a lot of room on the table for Diggle could take over the show. We'll say there's also a certain Cape Crusader in Gotham they could call on for help that they've been uh, teasing in commercial breaks. They've been teasing Batwoman, but I yep. don't think that she appears then. Okay. And I'm going to get into when I think she appears in a little bit. Okay. But overall, they teased enough that they've now tied in a crisis and that we might have an Arrow or Stephen Amell-less Arrow season next season. Which would be wild. Which will be wild to a degree. But I also wonder, will they make Roy Harper the new Green Arrow? Would it be possible they do a time jump and, and I don't know, if Mia Queen would come back? Well, the, the thing, I would like to see Roy come back and be the Green Arrow, but I think based off of what we saw in the flash forwards, now granted they, he doesn't say when he, he goes to the island that Oliver lived on for five years off and on. Uh, but he did say he was there for until they found him in the future. So there's some wiggle room there. Right. I mean, at this point, too, John Stewart might actually become John Stewart. Yeah, there is that. And my prediction would become true since day one yeah. that he is John Stewart Green Lantern, and maybe they'd run with that. I don't know. I'm fan hoping with this one. So you've been fan hoping for like eight years. Absolutely. And one day it will come true. I'm marking out for that. But overall, though, final thoughts on Arrow. Great season, one of the best, if not the best. Uh, Going to be very, very interested to see where they go with next year, especially if Oliver is not around all that much. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I thought this was one of the strongest seasons they've done in a while. I mean, it's very tough when you have such a dynamic hero such as Deathstroke, or I mean, villain such as Deathstroke, and Adrian Chase was great in his run, and Ricardo yeah. Diaz is too. So obviously, going off the tail end, uh, the Emiko story could have gone a lot of different ways. It didn't, but it, it's not a deterrent to the overall product of the season. I really dug it. I'm very excited to see where they go because the next night we had the Flash season finale. Mm-hmm. Now, this season I have been super critical about because okay. Cicada, I just I can't get into as as the big bad. I just couldn't. See, but looking back, Cicada wasn't the big bad. No, then I love the twist they did Yeah, because they brought in Thawne again yeah. as reverse Flash. The rash that won't go away. Right, but and with dealing with the Flash's rogues gallery, and we've talked about this before. Yeah, he has one of the best in all of comics. Yeah, and they—I don't think the writers on the show have used them to the best of their abilities. That might—that's very true. But that also might be going back to you know earlier season of Arrow where they had Suicide Squad on, and it was a great episode. And then WB went, ah, you can't use that anymore. We got plans for that. Maybe that's why we haven't really seen them dip too far into the Rose Gallery. See, I don't know, but I think that this is where, as we talked about Arrow doing a split season with villains, Yeah, I think the Flash would have benefited so much better from this. I, they might go that way next season, seeing as that might have been something they put on the table, but ah, we're not really sure that would work. And now looking back at how well-received Arrow was for this season, that might be something like, all right, Let's pull the trigger and do it. Maybe. I mean, this is going to be something that I hope they use as a blueprint because I think it would work a lot better. Because Cicada, I don't just never connected with me. 
as a as a major antagonist that I literally just was like, okay, I don't remember him from the comics. Right. And just I think they kind of overhyped it up a little much. And obviously with dealing with Nora, Barry and Iris's daughter from the future who was excess and Legion of Superheroes, and they yeah. never really touched upon that. That to now go into where they went for the season finale, I guess, Pat, what's your initial thoughts? I thought it was a great season, another great season finale, much like Arrow, where, you know, it tied up everything great for me. And then you just, the, the heartbreaking moment at the end where, you know, they're telling Nora to run back into the future because she's disappearing. And and she goes, no, I can't. And she just kind of, you know, fades into existence. Yeah, it was very heartbreaking in a sense. But as you saw, Thawne was the major villain of the season. Yeah. He was orchestrating everything from Cicada's origin to Nora going back in time to save himself. I was like, everyone's playing checkers. He's playing 10-dimensional chess. But I think that's so brilliant with how he does his his plans. He is always just that more step ahead of the Flash. And just to do the long game, I mean, this is just a long game and then yeah. some. Yeah, that's that's where I really love Flash the most is when they're doing anything with Thawne because it is just so, I don't know what it is, but just they're writing with Thawne and anytime Thawne is involved, it's so brilliant. Yeah, they really take their time to develop him, but he is one of the best Flash villains, though. I, yeah. mean, I don't think yeah. we, we talk about this enough because like for me... When we talk Flash villains, I mean, Captain Cold is the best one. Yeah. And they never ran with him, I mean, for a, a entire season run. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a scheduling conflict, and I'm not going to you know nitpick about that. But when Tom Cavanaugh is playing uh, Ibarthon, mm-hmm. he always takes it to just another level. Oh, it's like he was born to play that role. Yeah. I mean, I understand they do you know Sherlock Wells and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah which is great, and, it's, and I love it. It's great. It's nice comedic relief, but at the end of the day, when he is at his thawn level let's say he's going in that that thawn voice where it's kind of low and and kind of monotone and just kind of slow in in this it's like oh crap what is he gonna do he just adds so much of a dimension to the show yeah that i think they with how lighthearted the flash is and i mean the flash is a lighthearted character yeah that i think when you add that dynamic in that really changes everything up and i think really impacts the viewers watching more Mm-hmm. In my opinion, and as we see, I mean, he's he orchestrates the plan to have the dagger on him in the future and save himself from his impending execution. Yep, and he winds up obviously showing some new tricks when he's finally freed in the future. Yeah, well, and of course he puts the plan into motion where the Team Flash is literally paired with the crossroads of okay, do we destroy you know Cicada's dagger and let Thawne free? Because at that point, they're trying to cure Cicada of, of her powers and get rid of them. But the dark energy of the of the dagger is overpowering the cure mm-hmm. to where it doesn't work. So they have to destroy the, the dagger. So it's do you destroy the dagger, ergo uh, freeing Thawne? Or do you you know sacrifice that just to hold Thawne? It's a lose-lose for them. It's a lose-lose, but they make the decision to destroy the dagger. Yeah. And then Thawne is free. And then we see that, like I said, he does some new tricks. He splits himself in half. Yeah, and yep. it and it's not like Flash did a couple seasons ago, where like he was split in half, but like one was kind of corporeal, not all there. No, the second version was all there and making contact. Yeah, it was wild to see. It was a great visual. Yeah, and then just as it comes down to it, Thawne is explaining about what happens with Nora now, right? Because the whole timeline is now just completely resetting itself. Right, and that was kind of one thing I was thinking about when they're going through the fight with uh, Thawne at the end is, okay, this is Thawne from the future. Like, as good as Barry is and as fast and as strong and as powerful as he is in, in his abilities, he's outclassed. 
Mm-hmm. Like Thawne's just that far ahead of him in his understanding of the, the negative speed force and his abilities. Yeah, Barry is just not there. And then obviously it's just a heartbreaking moment where they're trying to save Nora. Yeah. And Nora's like, no, I'm not going to let Thawne win. Yeah. And she sacrifices herself where she fades out of the timeline. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to see where this is going to play out because at this point Thawne essentially wins. Yeah. And now Barry has to kind of deal with the ramifications. Especially Thawne being free. Again. Yes. But I think that works in their favor. Yeah. Because honestly, and I'm not meaning this as a rip, who else are you going to get as a villain next season that would hold up if this is arguably going to be Flash's last season? I'm going to explain my, my statement there in just a sec. Boy, I, I can't really think. I mean, maybe they finally do something decent with Gorilla Grodd, which they've had a few good episodes, but I feel like they've never fully used Gorilla Grodd to his ability. Now, and I get there. there's the whole issue of money and, and CGI and the whole thing on television, but I just feel like they've never used Gorilla Grodd to his full potential. And this is where I'm saying I think they go with Thawne for the final season because my argument ties into the last uh, scene of the episode. Okay. Where they go into the secret room in Star Labs. Yes. And this is after Cisco has now depowered himself. He's now leaving the show. Looking as happy as he's ever been. Yeah, which I I I didn't really like how Cisco was written this year. Because yeah. he was always very pro powers and then all of a sudden he just was like, No, I don't want them. Well I mean the thing of it is though is he was struggling with that for a very good portion of the season. Right. But it just kind of seemed like out of nowhere. But, but like it was like early in the season he was thinking about doing that and it wasn't until the finale that he's like, All right I guess I'll do it. So he, yep. So he's off the team now. Sherlock Wells is off the team. Joe is now the police captain. Yep. So moving forward, so that is happening. Ralph Dibney is now a fully established private investigator. Uh huh. Again, he's redeemed yeah. himself, and yeah. I think he'll be joining the police force too. Probably. So there's a lot of stuff happening, but then, as like I said, they go into the side room, and then you see the big newspaper clipping that says Flash vanishes in crisis. It was like 20, 29 or something like that. Right. All of a sudden, you see that speed up. Uh, Well, speed backwards. Right. To 2019. Yeah. And that goes, okay, Arrow has now set itself up for crisis. Flash has now set itself up for crisis. Mm -hmm. My unofficial ODPH theory is Arrow and Flash, Legends, and Supergirl are all going to be done next year and repackaged. So you're not going to have a full season of Flash per se, but it'll get repackaged in some variation. Like maybe Barry Allen is going to be joining a super team, so to speak, by the time it's all said and done. That I think Arrow, I could see Team Arrow becoming the outsiders by the time it's said and done. I think that obviously we know the Batwoman show is coming with Ruby Rose. Yep. So that'll be coming presumably after Crisis. The other shows we really don't know, and we haven't seen the season finales yet and how that's going to tie right. in. But, Pat, let me know your thoughts on this. Okay. What do you think is going to happen now with next season for The Flash? Well, I think with Thawne being free and obviously Crisis on Infinite Earths on the horizon, I think Thawne is going to be a major... Then with The Flash, too, with Barry allegedly not surviving, Right. What go- what's going to happen there? And that's why I said, I think after Crisis, you're going to see a whole revamp. Not saying shows are going to get canceled, but a revamp of all our favorite characters on the DC CW universe. I just want all the shows, you know, you know, Supergirl, Legends, Arrow, and Flash. You know, Black Lightning is a whole other universe that I don't think is going to get dragged into this at all. As far as we know, they're as far, not getting as far as we know, they're not getting dragged. I just want to see Supergirl get. Now I've said this before. I understand why it's a different universe because it, when it first came on, it was a different network, and they had to yada yada yada. 
I just want to see Supergirl in the same universe so that every time they want to bring her in for a crossover event or for an episode, they don't got to do weird shenanigans to get her in there. I think that does happen. I think that their planet gets destroyed Ooh, in, okay. in Crisis. That's my early prediction, that her planet doesn't survive, and you're going to see characters either wind up on different shows next season or you're going to see different variations of those characters on different shows. But I think Supergirl is going to have probably one of the biggest changeovers, in my opinion. Could be. I think them, and I think Flash is going to have a definite, lasting, more lasting impact, so to speak, after Crisis. And what happens after that, I don't know. Because as we know, Arrow is not coming back. You presume yep. Batwoman is going to jump in that position. Yeah, my, yeah, that's my, kind of my guess with Batwoman. Because like, they're showing promos for it during all the CW shows, DCW, DC shows. Uh, that my guess is it's going to be it's going to take the time slot whenever it is of Arrow next year. Yeah, that would make the most sense. So moving forward, there's going to be a lot going on. We we have covered the two big DC CW Arrowverse shows. We know Legends is having their season finale next week. Yeah, same with Supergirl. Yep, Black Lightning is already wrapped up, but they're like technically not part of the Arrowverse yeah. Yeah. yet. I we like we said we have not heard anything official if they're going to be joining in on Crisis on Infinite Earths. That could happen. I don't, but like I said, I haven't heard anything official yet. But either way, Arrow and Flash ended very strong this year. And going into Crisis, we know that there's going to be a short window to get some stories done. Mm -hmm. Where this leaves our heroes going into that is anybody's guess. But with Crisis looming, everybody is in fair game and everybody's in fair play. Yep. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Hit us up on that hashtag, though. Hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on the Arrowverse season finales? Where do you think everybody's going into Crisis on Infinite Earths? We want to know. Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Come back for another segment on this edition of the OTPH podcast, and we have to talk about the return of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Dem Agents. Dem Agents returned, and dare Ooh. I say, we had a lot of questions. Yeah. Talking spoilers yet again, mm -hmm. but when we jumped into this, we didn't know what we were expecting. No. Season 5 ended as... About as perfect as it could have ended yeah, for Colson yeah. and company. Yeah. They did a quick recap, and as we go into the episode, what happens? They blow the ship up that mm -hmm. Fitz is on. Yeah, that's not a good look. Going right into like the first two minutes of the episode. Yeah. Blows up. Yeah. And as we see, there's kind of some jumping around. It's established that it's one year later mm -hmm. from the season finale. Yep. So there has been some time, and they have established that. And Team Quake... Uh -huh. Is looking for fits, uh, which I gotta say, uh, I do not like Quake with blonde hair. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's it's. I know it's a new look, and obviously, what's going on is just yeah. kind of representing. There's a big change going on, but we see Quake and Simmons are now looking, and they're working. I, would, I almost like their sword. Yeah, they haven't fully said yeah. they are. Yeah. But they're almost sounding like they're sword. They're also making very large technological jumps in a year where they can take the Quinjet and go into deep space now. To my knowledge, they haven't said where they are, but they're not in our solar system. No. They're not, they're not anywhere near our portion of the galaxy. So they're somewhere else in the in the Milky Way galaxy, but man, are they making technological jumps. Yeah, it just seems like the technology has just really stepped up. Now, I'm not saying it's Shi'ar. It is not. <laughs> let's not get into that. The Fox deal has nothing to do with the show. No. So 
they're getting some new tech from somewhere. It hasn't been established yet. Yeah. And as we see, too, Daisy is showing off new powers or ways to use her quake powers. Yep. Throughout the episode. So, I mean, you can definitely see there's been some growth with yeah, the, yeah. our characters over. And then as we fast forward back to Earth, Mac is now established at the Lighthouse, which is now the official S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. Which is slight side note. Is that the same? Not because we've seen Aquaman since. Is that the same Lighthouse from Aquaman? It looked it. Uh, I was watching the episode with Brag Eye Signal, and like we both had that thought. We're like, wait a minute. Is that the Aquaman Lighthouse? It looked it, and I'm like, I... Because if I'm not mistaken, that the S.H.I.E.L.D. Lighthouse is in Maine, which is also where the Aquaman Lighthouse is. It might be. It would be just this weird paradox... That I I don't I don't know if my my head could wrap around. Well, so you talk about heroes being in the same city, saving the same buildings. Like no, they're they're living in the same building. It, 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 that would just be such an amalgam. I don't know if I can really. I'll like, say, hey, uh, King Arthur, you might want to look in your basement. I think you got something down there. Right. And at this point, too, you see Mac is giving his orders, and he's really fully established himself as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, trying the best that he can at the same time. Right, because at this point, too, you're seeing May and Yo-Yo are running teams, and they're obviously they're on a mission where they, they're in Iowa, I believe, mm-hmm. and then they're watching these kids play basketball, and then all of a sudden, the ball shatters into birds. Yeah. Which I'm going, like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, I, I kind of thought the same thing. Yeah, it just was kind of weird, and then there's a wall, and then people are walking through it, and then somebody gets stuck. Yeah, it's, it's one of those walls if you're, you know, when you're a kid on the elementary school playground, you might throw a ball against it or something like that, like the, a classic wall from playgrounds. Yeah, there's really no explanation for it, so to speak. They're just, something's going on. Yeah, people they're, are, are, they're playing, the basketball shatters, and then a guy comes walking through the wall, eh, like any normal day. Right, and then, obviously, the team tries to intercept the threat, and that doesn't happen. We find out the threat, I believe, is Jaco. Yeah. And obviously, this is kind of getting into weird territory because when any time that they have space invaders come to Shield, it always gets messy. I'm saying this is we got to remember not long after Endgame, so you right. know, right? So obviously, at this point, there's like a lot going on that they're teasing enough. I'll say the world's still nervous enough about the last invasion. Yeah, so Shield is definitely trying to do what they can, and and Mac is actually trying to get advice from a hologram of Coulson. Yeah, well, I don't think it's advice from advice. I think it's just something that he recorded in his last days knowing okay i don't have long ahead of me i need to give whoever is next because like normally if somebody retires you can still call them up and go hey mm-hmm. here's what's going on can you give me some advice like if if jim gordon were to ever retire as commissioner of gotham whoever takes his place could still assuming jim gordon's not dead can still call up and go hey here's the problem i got going on what do you think i should do colson's not there to do that mac can't pick up the phone press a button video call him and go hey we're dealing with this extraterrestrial threat what do I do? Right, because at this point, May has confirmed Colson did pass. Yep. So this has been established. So Mac is talking to his hologram memoirs. Yeah. Which is a, it's an interesting take, I will admit. I was kind of like, all right, this is different, but okay, it works because Mac is obviously thrown into this. And even I'm though... Saying, it makes se- Like I said, it makes sense given the scenario. Oh, it makes perfect sense given the scenario because you're seeing the, the different dynamic. And at this point, too, we find out May is recruiting for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Which I think is brilliant. Yeah. I, I love how they're yeah. using May this season. Because obviously with what's happened with Coulson, she's now taken it upon herself to really step up inside S.H.I.E.L.D. and whatever the new regime is going to be. I think it's at some level, though, she's also given you know her feelings for Coulson and everything there. I think it also, on some level, she's trying to distract herself a little bit or keep herself busy. Right, which makes a lot of sense, too. And like I said, I really liked how they wrote May in this episode. Yeah. And as we see, though, they do start jumping around between Team Quake and Team S.H.I.E.L.D. I yeah. guess that's the easiest way I'll describe yeah. it for your listeners. Yeah. And they're going, and obviously they're trying to search what's going on with Fitz's ship's remains. Mm-hmm. They find the 
uh, cryogenic chamber. Well, and even before that, they're kind of traveling through space. And, and while they have made technological advances, the ship is at its breaking point where like they only have one or two more jumps left in them. And if they try to push any further than that, they're going to be stuck in the middle of space and no one will be able to get to them. Right, because they're getting hunted at this point, too. Yep. It seems like they're, they're having some company go on and it really hasn't been kind of fully established who that is. But I'll say this, they run into him and it's clearly not the first encounter they've had with him. Right. But like I said, S.H.I.E.L.D. does enough to tease. They don't give any of their cards out just yet. And that's one They're thing I like. The long game. Yeah, but they always do. So, I yeah. mean, that it's to be expected. And as we fast forward back to Earth, we find May is training with Yo-Yo, and we find out Yo-Yo and Mac are now done mm-hmm. as a couple, which yeah. is kind of weird. Yeah, a little bit. And obviously, Yo-Yo is now seeing another agent on the team, and they're kind of <laughs> building up that. And, I mean, it's the little soap opera thing. But, yeah. okay, we get it with the show. So but we'll it, say when you're locked in a lighthouse together, these things tend to happen. Yeah, so obviously the dynamics moving forward are going to be interesting. And then we see Dr. Marcus Bedson gets added, who's a friend of Mazex, uh, Andrew. Yeah, that that was a little awkward. Yeah, and then we see that they're now building the S.H.I.E.L.D. Academy or trying to. Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of very interesting to see Mac doing, that it's just a different interpretation of, okay, as director, where do I want to see this organization go? Right, and I think it's also a result of what you see from some of what else has been going on in the MCU where you can't always depend on the Thors, the Captain Americas, you know, the Iron Mans, Spider-Mans, Doctor Stranges to come in and save everything. Like, they can't be everywhere at once. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot in a lot of dimensions and other worlds that they have to take care of. So I think at some level, while, yes, it's great to push a button and have the Avengers show up, they're not always available. Right, and this does make a lot of sense because Shield has always had an academy throughout the history of Marvel Comics. Yeah, and I mean they even touched upon this in the you know early seasons of Shield too yeah. before you know Hydra took over and mm-hmm. then you know everything went up in smoke. So obviously this is going to be a throwback. I'm not sure where this is going to lie per se to an initiative program, but he is trying to recruit people to be involved in this academy for mm-hmm. training the next generation of Shield. And then as we're going into this, like I said, they do their time jumps. We're also seeing the. I guess we can call them the antagonist team. Yeah. Arrive on Earth, and they're kind of recapping and what's going on. And at this point, too, they're jumping back where Max's team is in, is examining the body that's stuck in the wall. Yeah. Which all of a sudden becomes alive. Yeah, that was that was creepy as all heck. Yeah, which was nuts. I'm like, what? Is, like, this season so far has just kind of brought more, like, eye-raising moments. But in a good way. In a good way, but it's kind of like, all right, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Like, I have a vague idea, but I don't have enough to really kind of dig into it. And then as we see, though, the Quake and company are are running from being fired on, and Simmons has really kind of stepped up in this case because she is desperate to find Fitz under any circumstance. His cryogenic chamber is empty, and she has like one one hunch of where he is and tricks the team to going for it, burning that jump that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. which... I you know I I like where they're going with Simmons, but it just I don't know. I guess maybe I watched too much Game of Thrones. I could see like the little Daenerys start yeah. creeping in her just a little bit. Yeah. And as we go into it, we see Sarge or the team that is eventually going to become Sarge's team, as we've covered over last episode. Of charge. Yeah. All of a sudden, go into a building, and it looks like they're trying to blow it up. Yeah. And then it does because all of a sudden this big cloud of smoke comes down, and an eighteen wheeler comes flying out. That was an awesome visual. Yeah. For reasons. Like, it just was like, wait. It's a cool entrance. It's a cool entrance, no doubt about it. It's their version of a superhero landing. Yeah, and at this point, you see Sarge show up, who looks an identical to 
Director Coulson. Oh, he's a dead ringer. Dead ringer. Because, well, that's Clark Gregg. But obviously when he shows up and he goes through the smoke bomb, he kills an agent. Well, yeah, because the agent is on the ground having gotten knocked over by the 18-wheeler running through about four different cars and a couple shield SUVs. And he's laying on the ground, blood pouring from on his head, and he looks up and he goes, Director Coulson? And the guy, he just shoots him and goes, no idea who he is. Right. And at this point... They just ride off in the 18-wheeler and just obviously making you know the mic drop entrance. And a lot of questions are just being raised at this point. Like, okay, why does this guy look like Coulson? Yeah. And where is he coming from in space? And what does this have to do? Mm-hmm. And then where they go for the bonus scene for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. Fitz is working for the controller, mm-hmm. and he injects a control chip into his own neck. Yep. Now, the controller is an old Marvel villain who does control people with a control chip on their neck. Yes. So, is this going to be the main villain this season? Maybe. Maybe. Don't know. A lot of questions going on. A lot of moving parts happening this episode. We'll say, like you said, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does not give all answers in the first episode. we got to wait a couple weeks. No, and that's right. I mean, that's one thing going into this shortened season, because I, I believe it's going to be a half order compared to where they usually are for the Probably. full 22. So, they're obviously going to be moving at a quick pace with this. So, that being said, there's a lot of things going on with it, but Pat, what's your final takeaway from this episode? Awesome season premiere. Uh, You know, like you said, last season was such a good tie-off to the show that, like, if that was going to be the final season, I was perfectly okay with it. Only thing I would have liked more of, missing Lola and that whole thing. Where the heck is Lola? But, no, uh, great return to the season, and like any every season pass with the premiere, where are we going to go from here? I am very interested. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I thought they came back very strong. A lot of questions that I know are going to get answered as we go forward. But dealing with the space and just jumping back and forth, I guess, was the only negative I thought. Uh-huh. Just because it was just kind of seemed like it was happening randomly. And you don't really have an explanation of, okay, we know Quake and company are looking for fits in space. Right. They've been gone. We don't exactly know how long or you know what's involved in that. And then, obviously, with Mac and how he's running, and he now has to deal with a Coulson lookalike yeah. who is on Earth, and it just seems he just wants to just do mayhem and destruction for no reason. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, to answer your question, uh, this season is a 13-episode season with the season finale uh, being August 2nd. Okay, so it is a half season. Yep. Because they usually go, I think, 22. 22, or 23, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it looks like, according to IMDb, uh, this next season is going to be the same 13 episodes. Which, I mean, it will be very interesting to see. Because we know that they're committed to do the next two seasons. Yep, they are signed on for it. After that, I mean, there was talk that they could go longer, pending on a couple different things happening. Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see how this ties in. And then, like I said, we only have little tidbits of information to go off of. It was a very strong episode, though. Yeah. And like I said, I like the new direction Mac and May are doing, too. I mean, they really stuck out amongst everybody else. And to see where they're going to head going into the season is anybody's guess. But I'm definitely intrigued by this. But hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. return? We want to know. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is George Gatton, and you are listening to the Ocho Duro Harley Hour Entertainment Edition.
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat, kick us off with those one shots. Well, I got a couple of things. Uh, the first is the a little bit of interesting news came out of a Q&A session Disney CEO Bob Iger had uh, during the sixth annual Moffat Nathanson Media and Communications Summit, uh, which took place uh, just about a day ago as we record. Uh, one of the first big things we learned is that uh, Disney is uh, buying out Comcast's 33% stake in Hulu, making them the controlling uh, you know, parties in Hulu. Comcast, if uh, you know, Comcast is looking to get out of that, and if I'm not mistaken, they're also looking at launching their own streaming service with their own stuff. So, you know, they so that they're looking to get out of that, and then NBC Universal is still holding on to theirs. But if I'm if I read correctly, there's going to be something, and I want to say it's 2024 where they can force Disney to buy up their remaining stake if they want to. So we'll see in a couple of years. Uh, you know, of course, that will give Disney full control of the streaming giant. They have. Plans to roll out Hulu internationally in a variety of different markets. Uh, but, th- of course, Bob Iger says, quote, we have to walk before we can run. Uh, bundling Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus is still something the company is planning on to offer to consumers. So that's not something dead. Uh, They're going to be working on that. But there's a lot of moving parts with this whole acquisition and everything going on. So that'll come down the road. I would guess maybe about a couple months after Disney Plus launches, if I had to guess. Uh, they announced uh, they will work with FX to create new content for Hulu. So who knows? what that'll mean maybe a spinoff of it's always sunny in philadelphia i don't know what but i need more of that show uh they also said that they are planning to create local content in a similar way to netflix but they also believe that their most recognizable uh brands will have a global appeal uh and he also mentioned avengers endgame will be on disney plus on december 11th uh, moving on from that, of course, the kind of the biggest news, uh, he reconfirmed that Marvel's Disney Plus series will be a part of the overall story within the MCU, so it'll have effects on the MCU at large in movies and other series down the road. Uh, he said to expect more announcements of future Marvel Cinematic Universe sometime this summer. Uh, my guess is going to be San Diego Comic-Con coming up here very shortly. Yeah. Uh, you know, he said that when Rise of... Moving on to Star Wars, he said uh, when the Rise of Skywalker releases, Disney will take a bit of a hiatus while they figure out what's next now. They say take a bit of a hiatus, but they're also not. We can't forget there's the there's the uh, Mandalorian series coming out at the end of the year, and then there's also the Cassian Andor uh, series. Of course, he was the character played by Diego Luna in uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. He's getting a Disney Plus series, and they they hinted at there's more on the on the way. Uh, but he also kind of the biggest news out of this whole thing confirmed what the next Star Wars trilogy is going to be. And, okay, and it's not the Ryan Johnson trilogy. Oh, it is going to be the fir- it's going to be the first film in the trilogies. Uh, by Game of Thrones showrunners David Benoff and D.B. Weiss. Interesting. Yeah. What's your take on that? I mean, you're the Star Wars guy. I, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I'm kind of torn on it because, you know, Game of Thrones is obviously very good, but you look at where, and we've said it on previous episodes, where they've gone with this season, and I, you know... I feel like their best option would be to be to do something set in the Old Republic or way before the prequel trilogy because there's enough there for them to go off of because when they're at their best, I feel, is when they have something to go off of and when you leave them to their own devices and write their own story as we're seeing with season eight of Game of Thrones, it's not the best. It's very interesting, especially tying into the Game of Thrones writers coming over. Because I was reading earlier that there, I guess, is an online petition yeah. to to reset Game of Thrones and, or redo and, redo season eight. And yeah. I, I'm like, well, that's the same thing. Like the people were complaining about Last Jedi about, which I mean, HBO's not going to do it. Yeah, nobody's doing that. No. So it'll be interesting what their take is. And you know, my personal philosophy: more Boba Fett, less Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. I'll be there every day. But yeah. it's but with Hulu now 
being fully under the Disney umbrella, I mean, that's huge yeah. for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And we've been predicting to the if you get ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu, like get all three, they're going to be doing some kind of merger for that for yep. subscriptions, which makes a ton of yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it just makes all the sense in the world. And then my other one shot, I did uh, have an opportunity to, to see Detective Pikachu over the weekend. Of course, I grew up in the Pokemon era. You know, it came out right when I was in elementary school. So big part of my childhood growing up uh haven't been in touch with everything I, you know i kind of if you're familiar with the pokemon games i stopped after the what they call the second generation or the second batch of games that came out on the game boy color gold and silver after that i kind of fell off it you know i moved on to other things but i gotta say if you are a pokemon fan now you will love it if you were like myself and you grew up with it you watched the cartoon as a kid you played like the original games or maybe the first couple of games you you'll love the movie it you know there might be some stuff in there that like you might be confused about i'll admit there was something now they don't dwell too much on the ones you might not know they're there you know but the ones they really focus on are the ones that everyone will recognize you know the ones from the original game and, and the sequel game you know but it's a great film it's great if you have kids the kids will love it uh, i will say the demographic and the showing i went to definitely skewed older because there was a lot of nostalgia for those people uh and it's definitely one of those movies that they don't outright say it's set in that universe of like the the games in the in the cartoon but there's enough on the background that like it's set in that universe and they they it'll be very interesting i won't spoil the ending but it'll be very interesting to see if they do a sequel which i think given how it did over the weekend it it just it finished second in the box office overall behind avengers endgame i think they'll do a sequel well with ryan reynolds attached to the the project you yeah. know there's gonna be an audience for him yeah. obviously he's bringing a lot of people from deadpool over there and it's definitely a different demographic yeah when we're talking about that. But no, it's cool to hear. Then obviously to see how Pokemon has kind of gone in ups and downs and swings. And yeah. especially when the mobile app was yeah. happening, that's, yeah. that's like a craze. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I'm not into Pokemon. Yeah. I'm not hating on it. No, I just, yeah. I it's never did anything for me. Oh, yeah. But just to see how it's taken off is kind of really cool to see from the outside review. Yeah. No, it's, it's like I said, if you're like I said, you're a fan of Pokemon, go see it. You'll love it. I mean, for me, I got John Wick circled on my calendar that's for this true. week. And I mean, that's like with me and Fast and Furious. I don't need a plot. I just need to know John Wick is going to be in the theaters. <laughs> that is enough for me to take my money now. Yeah. So going into one, my one shots. Now, Pad, we did see a trailer. You know my thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. HBO's Watchmen that is coming out this fall. I'll say if there were ever any more eyes on a TV show coming out this fall, uh, I think Watchmen would take the crown. This is definitely going to fill in the gap for Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are going to be talking a little spoilers about the trailer, but honestly, I don't really have a lot. The only thing I could pick off from the trailer was Rorschach now has a cult-like religion, Well, I something going on. I don't necessarily think it's he has a cult. I think it's just, you know, you know this is obviously taking place uh, after Watchmen. Yeah, this looks like a sequel. This looks like a sequel which, to Watchmen, yeah, yeah. which something tells me Rorschach will have nothing to do with this, but, well, it, yeah. you know, obviously, but I think it's just like you see this in a lot in stories where somebody, a major character dies in said story and then they come out with a sequel. And there are people that like for right reasons or wrong reasons form up around the image and the memory of this person and build them up to a godlike status. Yeah. You know, for all sometimes right reasons, sometimes wrong reasons. You know, I think it's one of the wrong reasons. Yeah, this one just, I mean, they open with, like like I said, the, he's almost being worshipped as a martyr. Yeah. And how this is going about, we, we see the police there are wearing yellow masks, uh, like bandana types uh, yeah. covering their nose and mouth. Mm-hmm. Not really sure what's going on there. And you kind of see that there is a struggle going on back and forth. Yep. 
and you you can definitely see that there there looks like there's other characters that have now stepped in to to be heroes in this world. And if anything you know about the Alan Moore classic story, I mean, not everybody is good and evil. It's there's a lot of gray areas throughout the show. The only thing I could tell is Jeremy Irons was playing an older Ozymandias, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's been confirmed, but that's my guess at it. And they just kind of really go back and forth, and you can hear about you know the clock symbolism throughout the trailer and as you see there it looks like there's battles going on between yep. the different groups and it ends with don johnson talking to somebody and saying you know we're just talking about the end of the world tick tock tick tock tick tock mm-hmm. so i don't really have a lot to go off on this i'm just i've talked about this before and i will say this until i'm blue in the face Watchmen is one of those things that you need to either nail out of the park yeah. or you need to leave it alone. There's no wiggle room for this. There is none. And if you're doing a sequel and this is how this is looking initially. Right. My today as we record stance is I am very holding my breath on this. I, I think you're not the only one. Just because I don't know where they're going with it. I, I, I know one thing for certain. Alan Moore has nothing to do with this. Yeah. And wherever they're going with the source material, anybody's guess. I mean, I know that they've done a very good job in, with Doomsday Clock, the current story that's going on in DC Comics. Mm-hmm. That has been very good. Yeah, oh, yeah. And a very good representation. Because like I say, when you go near the Watchmen universe, you have to nail it out of the park. I mean, that, that, I mean, we heard how much care they're taking with in the comic sequel, if you want to call it that, you know, Doomsday Clock, where... Uh, Je- uh, Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns, and the writers and, and the artists and everything—they're like they're spending like entire days on one panel. Yeah, him and uh, him and Gary Frank are taking so much time out to do they're, this. They're taking their time to the point the book is getting delayed, but that's because they're taking so much time with it. Well, right, because like I say, when you talk about comic stories, and Watchmen is arguably the greatest comic story ever written. I'll say they didn't crack into the greatest books of the century of you know the the twentieth century for nothing. Right, because when it came out, I mean the legacy of it is just been phenomenal and you can't take anything away from the from the lasting image that is now given because it is just so iconic of how much it has influenced the modern day comic artists and writers it's just it impacts you in that certain way because that is the first time the comics really felt like they broke away from good versus evil and you know typical good guy versus typical bad guy this it, Watchmen is just so iconic for its own reasons that, like I say, and I know I sound like a broken record with it, but it is what it is. You have to nail it out of the park. Yeah. If you don't, forget about it. Oh, yeah. People, people will be angrier about that than they are season eight of Game of Thrones. Yeah, this show will definitely have a lot of eyes on it. And, oh, yeah. And like I said, we've seen the little teasers here and there in this full trailer. Definitely has a lot more questions than answers. Yeah, I mean, I'll be watching first I mean, day, but it's it's essentially the first teaser trailer of a movie where they kind of whet your appetite for what's coming. They don't give you anything of the story. I think you gotta. I think for a lot of people, yes, hold your breath. Yes, you know, kind of go in with bated breath. But we don't really have anything in, in this terms of the story. I think the concerning thing would be because we know Alan Moore has nothing to do with this with this production. You know, in terms of story producing anything. Mm. I think the concerning thing would be if if he starts coming out right when the show is about to come out and bashing it and saying, oh, this isn't my sequel. I have nothing to do with this. This isn't a true sequel. He, uh, that would be the concerning thing. Well, he's always been just very vocal about he doesn't want to see anybody go near the the property. Right. I mean, I know he's very he was very against the movie coming out, and, and that's yeah. and you know what? He has every right to be. Oh, yeah. 
So it's going to be a wait and see moment for this. So I, like I said, a lot to try figuring out, but as we go on with time, we'll definitely get a little more answers. And obviously the show is going to be debuting for ABC or HBO rather mm-hmm. in the fall. Cause I almost said HBO or ABC Freeform. I'm keeping my stuff mixed up because I want to talk about cloak and dagger and just how good last week's episode was. And I know that the hashtag renew cloak and dagger was hitting Twitter and I'm very, very skeptical that if they try canceling this, I might have a little meltdown on, on our Twitter account. I think it's just they, that hashtag might have started just because a lot of networks are having their upfronts and stuff's starting to get considered for renewal or not. Yes, because like I said, this show has been so good. And just the elevation from writing and acting from season one to season two. Season one was great. This season is knocking it out of the park, and especially with dealing how they've slowly integrated a Marvel villain, Despair, into yeah. the show, and just the take they're doing with him on that has been really cool. And like I say, Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph have been killing it this season, and, and Emma Lahana has definitely stepped it up as Mayhem, too. A lot of things happening going on, and like the last 10 minutes of this week's episode was brace yourself, crazy insanity going on, but it was so good, so well done, and the cliffhanger ending they gave, I can't do enough justice for it. Go check it out, ABC Freeform. Go get it on demand. You definitely want to be checking that show out. And hashtag renew Cloak and Dagger, and hashtag renew Deadly Class while you're at it too. That's all we got for this week. So for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. I'm thank you as always for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. See you next time. (laughs) 